Hi, I'm Coralyn Hoppy from Rochester Childcare, and you're listening to the Rochester Post podcast with Matt Wyatt. And my name is Jackie Furman, and I'm with New Hampshire AUIC. Um, we are working to revive our affiliation in New Hampshire. Awesome. Thank you both for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. So child care, that's our main topic today. Mm-hmm. And the from an outside perspective, because my child is 12 and a half now, so we, thankfully I don't have to worry about child care anymore <laughs> now that she can just, you know, stay home alone, you know, for days on end even. Um, not really. But um, I remember the struggles of child care when she was that age. And um, the things that I hear today is that people can barely even get child care because it is so full. Mm-hmm. So, Cora, tell me a little bit about what you're experiencing. And um, I just want to go back and forth and kind of, of get both of your perspective mm-hmm. on this sort of phenomenon. Well, you know, really what happened with child care before everything, even before COVID, we were already in deserts. We already didn't have enough space available for the amount of people we have in our state. So explain what a desert is, just so people are... A desert is basically a spot in the state where there's no child care available. And we have many of these deserts, actually. For the most part, most of our rural areas are mostly deserts. You might have one or two available, but really no parent choice exists. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that we've really been trying to focus on on our agency is to really start building up the workforce again Mm -hmm. because everything basically collapsed with COVID. There was no longer any access for education to an ECE program, an early child care degree program. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the CTE programs out of high schools had stopped basically highlighting early child care as a a good career path. They really started to focus more on the the teaching aspect of it and the elementary or above education. So slowly this had been kind of deteriorating. So when COVID happened, we had around 700 licensed childcare facilities. After that, at this current rate, last based off Mm -hmm. of last week's data, we were down to 605. Wow. So with that drop in capacity, our infant and toddlers are struggling to even gain any kind of access to kind of care because infant and toddler care is basically like a community need, but child care doesn't make money off of it. Mm-hmm. So those are the first programs that end up going. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I think on that too is we have, um, even when the public schools, public schools have pre-K programs and a lot of their pre-K programs, depending on if they have it, will run two and a half hours, maybe twice a day. Mm-hmm. What families lack is that wraparound care so very few families can leave work and say hey you know what I'm just gonna leave you to go pick my child up and bring them back to work with me (laughs) or even bring them to another center if there was availability to even do that which right now there's really not so we have families that are struggling with should we you know put them in a public program for just two and a half hours where we have to we have to navigate the transportation we have to navigate wraparound care or should we just try to find, you know, a, a center-based program and do a full-day program there? Mm-hmm. Um, but still, like that, and again, that is hard to do because the waiting lists are so they're so long because our workforce is depleted. There's classrooms that are closed. Um, there are centers that are closed. There are towns very, very close that have zero childcare available, yeah. um, and so that becomes really complicated for families that are doing that too. So it, it, it's hitting on multiple levels and wrapping around even into the public school realm. 
of um, those pre-K programs that they have as well. And we didn't have a very diverse system to begin with. Really, most of our funding for the state went through scholarship pro scholarship yep. programs that aren't truly scholarship, but went to center-based programs. Mm -hmm. So really, there wasn't a lot of support for family child care, which is a great avenue to have. Um, there wasn't a lot for micro centers, which is another great avenue that we've been working on. So really, diversity was killed, mm -hmm. and none hardly exist in this state anyways. So. Um, we, we've come into an interesting opportunity with childcare with this last budget season. Yeah. We are looking at bringing in $60.5 million into childcare based off of this finalized budget, mm -hmm. and which is something we've never seen in childcare ever in the history of the state of New Hampshire. Because usually there's no money in yeah. childcare. None. So. <laughs> None. So, you know, one of, our, one of the things that I was able to work on while we were holding our breath waiting for this budget to go through was to build my workforce. So mm -hmm. we're very fortunate over at Rochester Childcare. I have 94 employees. We're licensed to have 170 children in our center base, but we can have up to 538 school age as well. So we have a very diverse system that we've kind of built on. And now one of the main goals is to really support access to other child care centers yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. So really diversifying our funds and diversifying how we build the system instead of just having one size fits all, exactly. really to grow that diversity in our workforce and with new providers. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the waiting period because mm -hmm. right now if you're a parent with a young child and you're looking for child care there's a good chance that you're going to be put on a waiting list so yeah. i and i think what you're experiencing at rochester child care is actually indicative of all of the child cares around mm -hmm. the area okay. um, so tell me more about that waiting list and if i were calling you today and getting placed on that list when could i realistically hear from you uh probably in a year to be completely yeah. honest with you because of how enrollment happens. Mm -hmm. So children are basically transitioned based off of age. So if you have a wait list of 75, really only the first five people on that list are gonna be even called in that first year because right. it takes so long for children to transition over. Really what's gonna be your saving grace at this point is what I call enrollment turnover. Right now families aren't able to pay or we're not able to support the children in need based off of behavior and sensory needs or whatever has to come up. So we end up having to have families leave. Mm. So, it, which is sad. It's actually everything that we're against of in child yeah. care. So you might be lucky and get in based off of that in, in six to, you know, six to nine months, but really you won't a year. Yeah. Yeah. a year and really you're calling multiple lists and i have families who now call when they're pregnant in order to get on these multiple lists wow. and we're an agency where we don't charge to be on that list but there are agencies yeah. who have to charge in order to be on that list and you don't get that money too. back so these poor families are going in and having to apply for these wait lists and having to pay anywhere between 20 and 200 dollars to and remain might, on these wait lists wow. and they might be on multiple wait lists so that's the other thing too when we're calculating you know the wait lists and how many people are on wait lists in new hampshire there might be people that are on multiple wait lists because mm -hmm. they're trying to find child care wherever they can where it kind of used to be you try to find child care either by your home or by you by where you work someplace yeah. that was kind of yeah. easy for that route we've got people that are going 20 30 miles out of their way just to find child care so that they can be active in the workforce support their family mm -hmm. and like cora said when we have people you know we have families that have to leave um because like mentioned it's not a one-size-fits-all for every tiny human like each tiny human especially since covid we've got a lot of social emotional you know challenging behaviors we've got oh, trauma sure. pieces and sometimes it doesn't those don't fit in a very large center-based program mm -hmm. but it could go really really they could work well in a family child care and an fcc but sadly those don't exist 
yeah. <laughs> really either. There are a lot of FCC, FCC deserts as well. Um, so, you know, we're just seeing families and children that have a lot of needs that are not being met because the industry is just not able to support that right now. But we're... Yeah, what do be. we do to fix this? You it's know? moving forward and... Co- collaboration. And we had bipartisan yeah. you know? support, too. We had bipartisan yeah. support this time around, you wow. know, through things that were being done legislatively. Senator um, Gray, I'll do a quick shout out mm-hmm. for Senator Gray. He was the chair of our finance committee yeah. and he did, he pushed through for us yeah. and it, I'm very thankful for that. But it took a lot of education and, and teaching these mm-hmm. legislatives, legislators yeah. what this actually is. Yeah. You know, It's not a feasible business when you look at it in all angles. And for agencies such as mine, I can't charge much more. Right. So, you know, it has to be subsidized somewhere. And if we subsidize milk, why aren't we subsidizing child care? Well, yeah. How do, how does anybody work if they don't have child care? And in yeah. some cases, families are making that choice. Mm-hmm. To, I, one parent is staying home because what they make at their job does not cover or it's not worth it in the end because they're just working to pay for childcare, which is yeah. like... Which was the conundrum I found myself mm-hmm. in. Really? I actually, yeah. I went to school to be in special education, but I had to have childcare. So Rochester Childcare was who saved me. I owed that place $1,000 and mm. they worked with me to pay that back so I could keep my childcare when I was going through a housing issue with bed bugs. I had no choice. This was none of the choices that I had, but we couldn't qualify for any help because my husband made too much money right. or I made too much money. So it was childcare who was able to come in and save and work with me through some of the hardest times of my life. Yeah. So um, that's another avenue that childcare does, you know, that supportive family network that I can come and cry to if something's going on. Well, and I don't think people totally understand the gravity of, of the cost, mm. uh, especially people yeah. like myself or even older that have not had children in childcare in so many years. Um, I remember when the YMCA summer camp was, when I worked there years and years ago, it was $140 a week, which I still feel like that's a lot. A lot. Right. But it's like, what is, what is the average that you're seeing out there in this industry? Well, and I mean, the average... We're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, uh, the average is yeah. it's, it's kind of scary right. right now because the cost isn't really being subsidized. Right. right. So, you know, on average, you're seeing about $300 a mm-hmm. week for, between, one child. for one child. So imagine these poor multi-families homes. Yeah. Exactly. And it flexes. So, for example, <laughs> a family who has two kids in child care who make enough to $150,000, right? They're still paying about $600 a week in childcare. Wow. $2,400 a month, which Mm -hmm. the care is necessary because try to find liability insurance Mm -hmm. right now for childcare. Mm -hmm. It's a complete nightmare. Really? Uh, Yes, because of licensing regulations and stuff. I have actually just recently got kicked off of our liability childcare and had to go and find more. And there's a limited amount of... Uh, insurers that will insure childcare. So it's not very, exactly very like anybody can just open up a home no. care center anymore like they used to be able to no. do. There's tons of barriers Pathways, in the way. avenues, no. application, the application process, especially we have several, and we have several families across the state or several or, uh, either across the state that are multicultural looking to open up their own, you know, family childcare sure. programs or center-based programs to, um, to help you know, maintain what their culture does and bringing in outside people. And in doing that, like that gets really difficult because a lot of those families, if, if they're not, you know, comfortable with English as their first language, trying to fill out that documentation 
And a lot of it doing with it either without a coach, without an assistant, like without assistance can make it really complicated and make the process really hard and kind of deter a lot of people from opening up those centers that could be really and helpful course, across the state. And of course, this is on top of all oh, of the top. other barriers that are exist, exactly. the cost, the availability, the location, how di- yeah. the distance, you know, so uh, yeah. what are we doing on the state level to advocate for some of these changes? I'm curious. Um, so in the state level, there there are several bills that were brought to the you forefront. You seemed exhausted when I asked you that question. <laughs> <laughs> there was a sigh. It's exhausting. No, it's exhausting, but it's completely and unbelievably exciting because in, I mean, I started doing this when I was, I'm going to date myself way, but like 1999, 19 years old, assistant teacher going to college for ECE2, wanted to do both, get that experience. So kind of doing those pieces. And there wasn't a lot of discussion about childcare. Like we knew in the trenches you know, what we were, but we were also working in silos. There was public school, mm-hmm. that was school, school. Then there was childcare, which was babysitting. That's kind of yeah, what it was right. looked Daycare. at mm-hmm. way right. back when. Yep. Daycare was babysitting. And that's yeah. kind of what we what it was equated to for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so, total nonsense. Exactly. Like, which, I think anybody that has gone through a childcare program knows the enrichment activities and all of the curriculum that exists. Right. From, from zero to five. Mm-hmm. Yes. From zero to five. If yeah. we support them just right. We can screw them up from five to on, all right? But if we have that zero to five piece right there, imagine all the stuff we wouldn't have to bring in for resources. Everybody was allowed to have equal access. Exactly. There wouldn't be the need for family resource centers because you would have the social, emotional, advocacy, know-how in order to speak your needs to the people and community around you. A lot of the issues that we're running into right now could be wiped away if all children in our state were allowed access to childcare. Well, that personality and brain is developed the mm-hmm. most from zero to five. And exactly. that's that's where mm. we need to get those foundational skills in there because once those foundational skills, the coping skills, being able to deal with you know complex situations, those are all things that at that level um, will carry them through even difficult times during middle school. But what we're doing is that we're kind of ignoring those social and emotional pieces, not ignoring but yeah. not addressing so much so right. the yeah. trauma and the social emotional pieces at such a young age which means that when they turn you know middle school if they you know the public school systems either have to pull in additional resources which could cost hundreds an hour to do that if you don't already have a specialist on staff or they're placing them out of district into a different school that can manage those behaviors and needs on a level that they can't do so we're if we're able to really get in there from zero to five and provide that support, that structure, the flexibility, the work with transitioning, working the with family families, engages. exactly. Because what we what we run into with families too is maybe some families have had maybe their experiences in school weren't great. Mm-hmm. So when they when they think about education, when they think about school, it can become very triggering, very trauma. You know, sure for them. And what we really want to do is make sure we're doing a lot of that wraparound care. Where we're also helping the families through the process, like being able to get scholarship tuition assistance exactly um, oh, to yeah. get the Those support pieces. from their doctors to exactly. get the ot you know be yep. able to help navigate yeah. this extremely messed up system you know mm-hmm. because there's okay. so many different systems linked up and there's not enough systems linked up so yeah. yeah but i think you know back when you know in the 90s late 90s early 2000s there wasn't a lot of conversation then covid hit Right. And COVID hit and everybody's like, oh, we got a, we got a problem with childcare. It's not a new problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a new issue. This right. is this is just, it was exacerbated by COVID. And but, we started oh, raising right. kids on Zoom. And we did. You know, and the we Zoom did. raising. But now we have, we have, we have voices that are coming. We have the advocacy groups that are forming that are really kind of pushing for childcare advocacy. We've got, you know. Yeah, the NACs, got, the New Futures, yeah. the Moms Rising. We do have some There's great. There's funding coming yep. through the pipeline. Like this is the most, this, this 
legislative session that I believe is the most we've ever seen. Yeah, tell me more about the budget care. that was just the 15 million that was put what, in. What they included in this budget, which is <laughs> So, I will my highlighted favorite part was with Bill 237 and really the big switch that happened for child care was attendance-based to enrollment-based. So prior to all of this, we had a scholarship program that wasn't actually a scholarship program. What they did was the state rebated us for the hours served for the children there. Unfortunately, child care is a subscription more or less. You pay for a slot. Yeah. So really what happened is the private pay parents were subsidizing the costs of the children who were state funded, which isn't okay. Right. So now with this new budget season coming in, the state is now going to reimburse us per slot not per hour. Oh, so this, uh, we're looking at seeing a $500,000 deficit this year. We will no longer be seeing that moving forward because our ECE program will no, our school age program will no longer be subsidizing our ECE program. The state will now give us the real costs of care in order to provide the service, which is huge because wow. all we were doing was constantly subsidizing that cost. And where we subsidized it the most was our wages. Mm -hmm. So when we start paying people, you know, right now our lead teachers are getting 17 to $22 an hour. Prior to COVID, it was nine to $12 an yeah. hour. Yeah. So that comes from somewhere and we need to continue funding that. Yeah. So this is a huge thing with the enrollment base. Now we can continue to pay our teachers a smidgen of what they're worth yeah, yeah right and, I, right. In, and in child care it's you know child care is one of those fields where those that work in it often have to sacrifice passion for practicality because there are many people that left the industry to go work you know across the street at home depot or lowe's wherever that paid five dollars more so they're still paying for loans like student loans that they're mm -hmm. not in that industry anymore because they left and their passion and you know what they really want to do career-wise was interrupted by the fact that the, the wages just aren't there to represent the amount of work that is put in by these providers. Um, in it, providers aren't just teachers. Yeah. Right. They are nurses. They are sometimes a family therapist. I mean, mm -hmm. you get lawyers, so many, doctors, so many like it's crazy how because much because you have such access to families mm -hmm. um, that sometimes you don't get in other, you know, educational situations. So they're kind of expected and happy to do so. And encompassing everything a family would need and everything a child would need but in doing so the burnout rate starts to get yeah. accelerated um, and that's what we really want to try to prevent and that's one of those things is we have so much happening on a legislative level with advocacy groups working together that sometimes that information doesn't make its way all the way down to the boots on the ground in the in the people in the rules rural hello help me with that yeah. there rural we go. areas thank you that's a word yeah <laughs> one of those words rural areas yeah. <laughs> that don't have access to that information i know when i was 19 years old if all of this stuff was going on and i'm in a classroom with tiny humans running all over the place i have no idea what's happening legislatively or what's happening at that right. level it's i wasn't i wasn't that's not where my headspace was i was literally just trying to survive from one day to the next actually probably at some point surviving from one minute to the next in an you know in a Absolutely. very fast-paced work environment um so I think now where we have these voices, we have we have more more voices and more people and more people listening. And I think one of the really big factors that kind of helped us legislatively was that we had other people coming from different work domains. So you had police off you had police and fire and um, uh, we had the BIA coming. So many we people had... saying we can't hire people because they don't have childcare. And if they don't have childcare, then we can't look so because right. I think each domain is now being heard and how it impacts that profession, I think it gave a little bit more clout mm -hmm. <laughs> to what we'd been saying in the field 
already for a very years. long time. Well, how much do both of you credit COVID for kind of waking people up to some of these very issues? Much so. Because ninety-five percent. You know, obviously COVID was terrible, yeah. but in some ways, it sounds like this was kind of the a blessing the fire disguise. that exactly. lit this whole conversation in a way for you guys yeah. to be able to start advocating for some of these things that you have been saying for years mm-hmm. before. But it didn't become a real problem until people needed childcare exactly. desperately. When you became, you weren't expendable. Childcare wasn't expendable anymore. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't those things that you know you could use it if you needed it. It was we have to get to work. We have nurses. We have surgeons. We have police officers. We have people that first responders that needed to be at work during yeah. COVID, and need to be on the job anyways. But during COVID especially, and we became essential versus expandable. Exactly. And that or expendable. Yes. And <laughs> expandable. Oh, we are expandable too. Expandable. Expandable. Let's see how lunch goes. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I mean, it it became one of those things. But then I think we saw a little bit of a shift where COVID was, you know, kind of, I hate to say phasing out because it's out, it was kind of just not becoming such the crisis that it was initially. We started to become expendable again. Mm -hmm. It wasn't essential Mm -hmm. because there were different options. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think. You know, until yeah. people start trying to hire people, and until then they're like, s- "I can't work here because I don't exactly. have childcare there." Exactly, you know, so. exactly. So yeah. yeah, we 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 have a lot of voices. We have a lot of movement. This is the most I think the field's ever seen. We do, but I also I think we both want to make clear not to take our foot off the gas because yeah. even with what we've gotten through SB two thirty seven and SB one seventy yep. and some other bills, there are things we haven't we didn't get. And I really think it's important to deep dive into what we haven't gotten in the last couple of years from the asks and really see like, why didn't we get it? Mm -hmm. How can we work across aisles and how can we really have those conversations to at least in maybe some capacity, get the things that we didn't get first place, but have those conversations because people, you you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Yeah. Realize you don't know it. it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's where we come in and that's, and and we're, we're seeing a lot of people too from across aisles, like coming up and asking really, really questions. They want to know about childcare. Republicans, Democrats, independents, they want to know, okay, what's happening with childcare? How can, like, how can we help in some capacity? That's something that did not happen 30 years ago. Well, it's something that affects (laughs) everybody. And I want to go back to, um, pay uh, mm-hmm. for teachers mm-hmm. because uh, nine to twelve dollars an hour at, at that that uh, high end of twelve dollars was considered uh, pretty good at one time and yes. um, but when it comes to like a living wage and like I just want people to understand a little bit more about what these teachers are actually doing yeah. every day oh gosh so, so imagine, imagine. And why they're worth this, know, getting a living wage. For for example, well, they are developing our human assets, right? Yeah, so no really developing our, our <laughs> workforce. Correct? Our future so, communities. Yeah. So really right now what we're seeing in our communities is a lot of outside state people or outside people from other states coming in and living in our community and still working in their state. Mm. So really like keeping our children in our workforce, in our community, working in our communities is one of the major things that I think our teachers are going to bring to us. But but that being said, that's just a small portion of their job. Their job is to greet families at the door first thing in the morning, have breakfast set up and ready for between 10 and 15 children. Those 10 and 15 children all need to have relationships with between two and four teachers in each one of those classrooms. So these routines don't just happen in two minutes. Mm-hmm. They're getting children, they're washing their hands, they're diapers. setting them out on the, yeah. 38 to 50 diapers a day. day. Yeah. We're required Depending by state licensing that. to change diapers every two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It, 
what seems like a small task is really they're developing routines, they're developing mm-hmm. healthy relationships, and they're developing trusted relationships with adults. Mm-hmm. So if the family is struggling at home, our teachers come in and basically are those trusted adults that come in and support them to build other relationships with other adults. So we're the safeguards um, in helping them to advocate. We're helping feed them. We're helping to maintain relationships with everybody around them, including their doctors, including family therapists. Like we have OT to come into the building to support. We work directly with the REACH program, which is out of the district. We bus children between the center and East Rochester in order to provide excess services to them that they need. Um, we're then comforting them at nap time and yeah. supporting them through rest, which deep rest is extremely important for humans. Mm-hmm. So offering times to be safe and allow this rest and allow quiet activities. And then after all said and done, we're feeding them again. We're having evening chit-chats with the families, like telling them about their day, developing these relationships. So what really they do is not babysit. The only thing they don't do is sit. <laughs> because honestly, if you if you actually, and people have done this, and I, I love the math that they do, but when you get called a babysitter, if you get a babysitter and you're getting paid $20 an hour per child, mm-hmm. you want to pay them like babysitters? Pay them like babysitters. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. if you really want to call, if, if you really want to like, you know. Oh, for 10 to 15 it. kids. But if you're doing yeah. that Sounds for $20, if, if that's babysitting, then pay them as babysitters. For each child, this is what you get. But so it's not babysitting. It's more of these social emotional development pieces. And on top of all of the things that Cora had already said that these teachers and providers do, on a daily basis, they also have professional development and pathways to consider and try to navigate through New Hampshire, which there are several professional pathways. There's also centers that might become accredited if they do NACI accreditation, if they do GSQ. Like there are still, they're still working and doing work that families don't see to maintain or acquire the quality that Our they state want. Requires. That, that's yeah. required and that, that each center, and quality is different for each person depending on what it is once they actually get in there. But the state does have, you know, their quality pieces that you can become a part of. So not only are they doing all of these, you know, basic boots on the ground everyday things, they're also trying to better themselves professionally. And that takes time. There's so, so many other elements that go into it. And my husband's a master electrician. He is required every couple years to do a nine-hour Mm-hmm. We're required yearly to keep mm-hmm. 18 hours of professional development on file at every one time. Mm-hmm. And that one day could drop four off of there. So you're required to keep that up and maintain that on top of your water safety, on top of your CPR. Mm-hmm. So, And we're required to track all of this data on top of it and have proof of this data. Mm-hmm. So again, the last thing they're doing is actually sitting. Yeah. Yeah, and keeping up on all of the all of the development developmental pieces because yeah. you had you know years ago when autism became like that was every every provider wanted to make sure that they were able to be educated in that and know some strategies and being able to help families that might be at their capacity at their level, um, and then you had the executive functioning pieces that came in you know yes. years later so we were trying to help children and become more educated in executive functioning and how to make that make their day a little bit easier with those transitional pieces and keeping everything in kind of in check. And then we had the trauma and then we had COVID and then we had social and emotional learning. So all of these little areas or caveats for mental health providers and educators are also staying on top of because they want to be able to support families and children that are in that space. You're trying to meet families and children where they are, not mm-hmm. trying to expect them to be at a level that's really not attainable because they don't have those underlying skills yet. So where these providers are working so incredibly hard doing basic, you know, diaper changing, food, outside time, shoes, whatever, you know, those pieces, they're also doing an incredible amount of work behind the scenes that I think a lot of people don't see, but it's completely necessary for this work. 
But that's all you do. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Developing yeah. humans, and right? And every time. <laughs> for, for $9 to $12 an hour. Exactly. It's like, you know, so that, you know, that was always something that I, I struggled with when I worked in childcare is that people didn't really realize. It's like, you know, these one or two kids are hard for you at home in those nighttime hours you're trying to do bath, bed, uh, dinner, all that stuff, get them to bed on time. You know, these kids are with these educators for more waking hours than they are with you at home, you know, if you don't count sleeping. So it's like, these, these are people that you should be nice to. Yes. <laughs> like they are helping you more than you could yeah. ever know. And they want to work with families. Exactly. Yeah. And working with families and working with the communities and those pieces are so incredibly important with the providers. And that's what they want to do. That's, that's when you work at a classroom, I remember like my classroom was like my second home. Mm-hmm. Like it was home, like you spend more time there than you honestly you do. do at your yeah. own house. Yeah. Like, so you want it to be something that you're happy to go to every day. Um, and be able to do those pieces and offer those children, you know, the structure um, and support that they may have or may not have mm-hmm. at home, um, and just offering those pieces of. And how beautiful is that, right? We have an opportunity to be so creative in developing mm-hmm. humans, and that's why I have a master's degree in business. I can go work a corporate job sure. and make tons of money, mm-hmm. right? But I choose to be in childcare because we have the opportunity mm-hmm. to be creative and create deep meaning, yep. which is more valuable to me than well, any dollar in the world. I'm so glad that you just brought up that topic because we are we're. I can't even believe that we've been talking for a half hour, but I want to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to end the episode by asking each of you that question what possesses you (laughs) or what drives you to continue in this field despite all of the challenges and all of the hurdles and all the advocacy that's all the work that's still left to be done we'll start with you I, I love tiny humans I yeah. love, I, I just, I just, I did, I, I know, I knew I wanted to do this from the first time I took my first babysitting class at the age of 12 at the Stratum Hill Park, yeah. like, or Stratum Hill Fair. <laughs> like, I did my first babysitting class, got my little certificate, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. So it was the idea of working with the tiny humans and working with their development. And then once, you know, I started going to school and, and furthering education, it was more about, you know, just assisting them, helping them, and helping the families and the communities because these tiny humans are going to be running our communities at yeah. some point. So sooner how, than we've even exactly. liked. Yeah. So how? Absolutely. So how are Especially we prepar- in our aging state? So how are we preparing them for that? Like how are how are we as a community and as a state preparing them for that? Because they are going to be making some really big decisions several years down the road. Um, and so in doing that, and I just. I love challenges. I love mm-hmm. challenges. And and for me, my t- I love all tiny humans, but my favorite tiny humans are the tiny humans that are very, very challenging. Um, and so that also kept me loving it because it was always, there was an evolution in the help that we could give them and in the degrees that we could have. So I, cause I have a master's in child and adolescent psychology. So that was something that I got when I was 40. Mm. So I'm aging myself again because it's been a few years since then. <laughs> but, you know, that was the thing. Like you didn't, you know, it just, there's, there's something more to do. And this work is so rewarding. I mean, you go, you could go to work and get, you know, 12 hugs in the first five minutes you were there Mm. from these little tiny humans that just are completely engulf you. Like they just hold on for, you know, to your life. And it's just, it's such like a, it's a nice feeling. And then working with the families and knowing that you're helping families as well. Mm. Yeah. Cora, same question. That that whole circle feeling, right? When they come in, they apply for that job because they went to Rochester childcare. Those are my favorite. But I'm going to think of a quote back when I first became a parent. Uh, I never wanted kids. I had, I hated kids actually, <laughs> oddly enough. And you're in the right field. I know, yeah. right? It's because really you become what you are needed to be. Right. And I didn't have a choice in this, but 
they told me about the diapers. They told me about the formula. They taught me about that cost, right? But the 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 feeling you get the moment you meet that child, that love, that mm. you can't explain. That's that intrinsic value is my favorite. So when I get to watch a child play, when I get to see a teacher interact with a child and they know each other and then they're laughing and playing, that Ugh. right there is why I live. Little kid giggles. Like yeah. you can't or why I live a belly laugh. Like yeah. a little like a tiny yeah. human belly laugh you can't. And like you said, like it is so rewarding to watch them take some of these skills that you've been working with them on and utilizing those in their own way. Like yeah. forming relationships with other children, becoming social, um, and doing those things. It's it's rewarding. And there are so many people that for years would have said, like, that that outweighs not making that much yeah. money. I can say that now because yeah. we need more. to afford yeah. to live, because you we know. But we have to sustain. We have to be able to grow and sustain. Yeah. And we need something. We need a revenue field. stream in New Hampshire that allows us consistently to be able to get that from our for our providers. Because having this money come in is great. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's gonna go away at some point. So what we need to do is start to be be very creative with developing these funding and streams. Laying that groundwork. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that that you know nobody has to worry about what happens when this funds run out in a year when I'm in the red. Like that we know that there is a constant funding stream that is coming mm-hmm. through for these amazing providers that yeah. work tirelessly for these children. And, and really will help the entire state. Thrive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And we're getting I think we're, getting we're optimistic. Yeah. We're optimistic. We still got a ways to go, but we're optimistic. Well, and I think that's a great place to leave it there. And what I want to just say is thank you for the work that you do. It is a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is not something that I think people th- dream of doing right away. I, I you know, especially when you see all the challenges and and just imagine being imagine being surrounded by 15, 30 kids. Mm. Uh, <laughs> It's daunting, but um, we need good people like yourselves that are do- that are in there doing this every day, and we're so grateful. So. Well, thank you so Our much. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah well, we love it. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. This has been wonderful. Thank well, you. come back again in like six months, a year, and give Perfect. me an update on what's going on because I'm... It's I'm, on. Yeah. yeah. We're awesome. rolling. It's on. We're rolling. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you for being on the show, and thank you for listening. Take care. Thanks so much.